Welcome to the Bedford First Assembly of God podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's message. We'd love to hear what God is doing through this ministry. If you have a story to share, send us an email at connect at bedfordfirstag.org. Also, feel free to visit our website at bedfordfirstag.org. You can view the live stream of our services and find out more about our church. Thanks for listening. I want you to know that God is busy this morning. God is speaking this morning. I don't know if you have been listening, but there is a thread that is being run through this morning that I, uh, I knew the songs that the praise team was going to sing, but I didn't think about the songs that the praise team was going to sing until God gave me the word for this morning. If you have your Bibles, I want you to go to Luke chapter 15 this morning. We're going to begin with a parable that's a very familiar story to most of us that have grown up in church, but, I, but, but as the Lord brought me to this passage, there is a theme that God is bringing in my heart and my mind. And, and when I came on Easter, the title of my sermon was A Divine Exchange. And then the week after Easter, I talked about a second divine exchange where God exchanges our baggage. So at Easter, I talked about how, God, how Jesus exchanged places with Barabbas. Anyone remember that sermon? It's been a long time. We've all slept since then. Then the very next week, I talked about how God wants to help us to let go of those things that are keeping us from stepping into what's in front of us. There's a divine exchange between our past and our future that God wants us to walk in. And as I was preparing for this sermon this morning, God reminded me of this divine exchange that happens in the story that's told in Luke chapter 15. We're going to begin in verse 11, and I'm going to read a decent chunk of this story this morning, and I want to speak to you this morning about a divine exchange that I believe the Lord wants to do in this place this morning. Because He is the God who fights for us. Because He is the God that when we call on Him, that He answers us. And this morning, I want to talk about the way and the purpose that He answers us with. It's not just any old answer, but He answers us in a very particular and specific way. And the story reveals that to us this morning. Luke chapter 15, verse 11 And he said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the young man gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his prosperity in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in the country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. I'm going to stop there. That's not the end of the story, but I want to stop there, because I want to draw a few things out for us this morning. The first one is that the son makes a reckless request of his father. There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to the father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. He makes a ridiculous request of his father. It's not ridiculous that he should expect an inheritance from his father. What's ridiculous is the timing of it. You don't get inheritance until your father is dead. We function that way. But in Jewish culture, even more so, you don't get your inheritance until your father has passed. And this is the younger son, and so he should absolutely have no right to ask for it. He asks with, in the wrong way, at the wrong time, and with the wrong motives, something that was going to be his, but it was asked for wrongly. It begins in wrongness. 
Because at the end of the day, he wants to remove himself from his father's authority. He wants to remove himself from his father's restrictions. His motivation was not because he wanted to take what his father had built and make it better. His motivation was he wanted to remove himself from the authority and the restrictions of his father. He wanted to follow his own passions, and he wanted to pursue his own pleasure. See, it may have been a right thing, but he asked for it the wrong time. He asked for it at the wrong way, and he asked for it with the wrong motives. And I want you to see that that, that is reflected in what he does next. And his father divided his property between them. This is crazy. His dad does it. His dad says, okay, I'll do this for you. Verse 13, not many days later, the, young son, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his prosperity in reckless living. I want to take a few statements out of that. But the reality is it says that in not many days, once he decides to remove himself from his father's covering, it doesn't take long to remove himself from his father's house. When we make decisions to remove ourselves from our father's covering, it doesn't take long for us to want to remove ourselves outside of his house. And, and, and sometimes, those of us who know the Lord, we don't do this with our life in totality, but we do this with areas in our life. Sometimes we decide, Lord, you get this area, this area, and this area, but this area you don't get. And when I remove the, the covering of my Father, and it doesn't take long for me to remove that outside of His house, outside of His authority, outside of His protection, outside of His provision. He moves It doesn't take long once he removes himself from his father's covering. See, when we live in rebellion to the Lord, it is a removal outside of his recovering. And while I may not be talking about your life in totality, I want to push you a little bit and say, what areas of your life have you said, Lord, no, you, you don't get that area. You remove yourself from his covering and then so quickly remove yourself from his house. And then we wonder, Lord, why am I struggling? Why am I battling? Once he decides to remove himself from his father, covering it doesn't take long for him to remove himself from his father's house in not many days. He moves to a place that they described as a far country. He took a journey to a far country. He moves to a place that is apart from his father, And it's apart from his people, and it's apart from their covering to a place that he doesn't actually belong. I want you to catch this this morning. The far country was not his country. The far country was not his place. The far country was a situation, a circumstance, a physical location that wasn't his. It wasn't his father. It wasn't his people. It was nothing that was his. He removes himself to a place that he shouldn't be, and he sets up a house and a home in a place that he shouldn't be. This far-off country doesn't reflect just a physical location, but it reflects a mental and emotional and a spiritual abandonment of what is his country. For those of you that don't know Jesus... You're in a far country. You're in a place that God doesn't want you to be in. He's in a place that you weren't designed to be in. But for those of us who know him, I want to push this just a little bit. 
And when we decide in a heart of hearts that we're going to hang on to things that Jesus is telling us to let go of, we're in essence saying, God, I'm removing myself from your country, I'm removing myself from your people, and I'm setting up camp in a place that I don't belong. It reflects a mindset. It reflects an attitude. It reflects a decision that puts us squarely in a place that God never designed us to be in. So not only does he move physically, he moves mentally, he moves emotionally, he moves spiritually, and he abandons the place that he was designed to be in. He moves to a far country, far in every way. And there he squandered his prosperity. In reckless living. He moves to a far country and he engages in reckless living. This word means wasteful, immoral, godless, riotous, excessive. And this last one is one I think is so interesting. Without restraint and without control. When we say reckless, this is where the word prodigal comes from. He's the prodigal son because he's a wasteful son. He, he, he's, he's abandoned to all the things that he knew. And he, and he begins to live in such a way that, that the Bible describe, describes as reckless. This means he's living a way that leads to insecurity, unpredictability, suffering, danger, and judgment. When I think about recklessness, I think about things that are out of control, things that, that don't have any boundaries to them. When somebody is accused of reckless driving, it means they're unpredictable, they're all over the place, they're a danger to themselves, they're a danger to others, and it almost always results in suffering. And when they get caught, it always ends in judgment. He engages in reckless. He wastes his pro- uh, property, his inheritance. He wastes what the Father had reserved and worked hard and stored up for him in a way that brings destruction upon him. This kind of living takes more than it gives. And what it does give isn't lasting or truly fulfilling. When we allow ourselves to engage in reckless living, and I would love to suggest that once we get saved, we never do it, but that's wrong. If we're willing to be honest, I say we because it's we. At times, we engage in reckless living because we have areas that are no longer submitted to our Father. We have taken the inheritance that is ours, and we've run off to a far country, and we think we can live in the far country, and God allows us to live there for a season. But the reality is, living recklessly will always take more than it gives. And what it does give is never lasting, never fulfilling. It never actually leads us where we want to go. So then we find, and when he had spent... Everything. See, because when we're living recklessly, eventually it will be spent. A severe famine arose in the country and he began to be in need. A famine in every conceivable way. There is a famine in this young man's life. Oh, I could preach for a while on that. He lost everything. He lost everything of real value and he's left with nothing. You, uh, you've probably heard it said before that sin takes us farther than we want it to go. It keeps us longer than we want it to stay, and it costs us more than we want it to pay. That's a great definition of sin. Those things that take more than they give, and what they give ultimately run us dry anyway. We find ourselves in a place of famine. This famine in this young man's life is total, physical, mental, emotional, spiritual. He's destitute. But this is not yet enough for him. Verse 15, so he went 
and hired himself out to the one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his field to feed pigs. Now, I've always read this. I've read this story many times, and I've never dug into the word hired himself out. What this word actually means is that he joined himself. The root of it is the word to glue something together. So I want us to read it again. So he went and joined himself, who glued himself to one of the citizens of that country. I want you to see what's happening. He goes to this country. He wastes all of his father's inheritance. He finds himself poor. And in this moment, he thinks, I'm not done in this country yet. I'm going to find someone who's living in the country who seems to be doing better than I'm doing, and I'm going to join myself to that person. See, we know this is, it says he was hired, but he wasn't making money. We know that because of what we read. He wasn't making money. He had joined himself to someone in that far country. He had connected himself to someone who was a resident of a place that he didn't belong. He had accepted their thoughts. He had accepted their ideas. He had accepted their principles. And then not just had he accepted them, he joins himself to that place. He glues himself to their ideology. And that person then sends him to go live with the pigs. This is an incredible picture. He has joined with a place that has nothing to offer him, and now he has joined to a person that has nothing to offer him. I've watched so many people run from Jesus and join themselves to places and to people that really have nothing to offer them. And rather than turn and repent, they stay in those places. They allow themselves to be sent to go live with the pigs. I've watched people who know and love Jesus in certain areas of their lives do the exact same thing. I'm going to hang on to the lies of the enemy. I'm going to hang on to the hurts of the past. I'm going to hang on to these things that keep me in a country that isn't mine, that keep me bound to people that aren't my people. We invent reasons to stay And those people, those places, they send us to the pigs. Pigs are despicable creatures. Sorry to those of you that have raised pigs. They are very tasty. But in Jewish culture, they were the lowest of the low. They were unclean. If you wanted to deeply offend somebody, you send them to go live with the pigs. You go send them to deal with the pigs. This is a complete abomination in a lot of cultures. I don't know about you, but I don't want anyone to send me to go work with the pigs. Again, apologies to those of you that have raised pigs. He doesn't return to his father, but he doubles down on this connection to this far and infamined country. And then we see him. He's in the fields. He's with the pigs. Complete abomination. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. He was so messed up that he thought, I want to eat the food of the pigs. How many times have we looked at the world and thought, oh, that looks good. We go to a far-off country. We join ourselves to far-off people. We find ourselves in a place where what the pigs think are good, we allow the enemy to convince us that what is pig food, pigs eat anything. They eat trash. And yet we allow, whether, I don't know the reasons, we have all kinds of reasons. Some of them is the lies of the enemy. Some of them is his deceit. Some of them is our own poor choices. Some of it is the hurts of the past. I don't know what the reasons are in your life this morning, but some of you here this morning are looking at what the pigs are eating and you're thinking it would be better for me to eat what the pigs are eating. 
in my mind, I see him sitting there on the ground looking at the pigs. He's just gathered their food and he's feeding them and he's looking at what they're eating and he's thinking, man, that looks good. How low do you got to get when the food of the pigs begins to look good? But if we're honest, many of us have been in that place. He joined the pigs. And it says, but no one gave him anything. He joined with the far country. He joined himself to the far country's people. He experienced the famine. He looked at the pigs, thought it was good, but no one gave him anything. But that is not the end of the story. That is not the end of the story. And that doesn't have to be the end of our story. Verse 17, but when he came to himself. This is a Jewish expression, and we would say it's when he came to his senses. He said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose, and he went to his father. He came to himself. He recognized that where I am is not where I'm meant to be. Where I'm sitting, the place that I'm in, is not the place that God has designed me to be in. Where I'm, I'm, I'm living and what I'm dining on are not the things that God has for me to live in and dine on. And he has a moment, and he realizes, wait a second, there's a father. I'm not worthy to be called his son, but there was someone that I can go to. There's a place that I can go to. And that, that he remembers that this is not actually his country, that these are not actually his people and this is not actually the food that he's been called to eat he remembers i want you to see his response verse 18 i will arise and go to my father and i will say to him father i have sinned against heaven and before you sin is not a word we like sin is a word we want to dance around it means to be without a share in to miss the mark to err or be mistaken, to miss or wander from the path of what is right, to do or go wrong, or to wander from God. He sinned because he knowingly made a choice to abandon his father's house, to abandon his father's people, and to squander his inheritance. He didn't happen upon it accidentally. So he recognizes first that he had sinned against God. He takes responsibility for the place that he's in. This is important. He takes responsibility. It's really easy to blame a lot of people for the place we find ourselves in. The reality is you can't control your circumstances. You can't. And I don't mean to diminish the reality of what you have experienced. I don't. Because some of you have experienced hard, hard things. But you can't control what you have experienced. What you can control is the here and the now. You can take responsibility for your response to those things. They made me do it. You know, it's really hard to make people do anything. I mean, we can physically force people to do it. I could literally force Amy to live in a house with me, but I could never force her to love me. I could never force her to choose me. I could never force her to like me. 
the, the reality is, and this is a hard truth, he comes to a place where he begins to take responsibility. First, I've sinned against God. My response towards God was wrong. And then he says, I've sinned against my father. My response was wrong. That is a hard thing to navigate. When the Holy Spirit comes to us and says, the circumstances were wrong, but so was your response. He begins by taking responsibility for what he had done. That's tough. He, he really begins to see himself clearly. He says, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. He recognizes that the lowest in the father's house still have it better than him being free. We talk a lot about wanting to be free. God is so restrictive. God is so controlling. God is all those things. I can remember thinking those things as a young person. The reality is the Father's house has authority and has restrictions for my benefit. And this is what he says. Even, my sir, even the servants in my Father's house have it better. He comes to seeing himself clearly. I have sinned against God. I have sinned against my, peop- uh, against my Father. But you know what? He doesn't just think about his circumstance. See, he made a request, he has a realization, and then there is a return, verse 20, and he rose and came to his father. (laughs) But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And his son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly. See, his dad, I don't know where his dad is. His dad's outside working. His dad's sitting in his his office looking on. I don't know what he's doing. Every so often he looks up at the road. He looks up at the road. He looks up at the road. And one day, And one day, he sees in the distance something that his heart has been longing for. I know it's been longing for it because of his response. He looks up and he says, that is my son. And he begins to run towards his son. He takes off cruising for his son. I don't know how old he is, but he begins moving towards his child. He doesn't wait for his son to come to him. He doesn't wait for his son to get close. He doesn't wait for his son to draw near. But because of his father's heart, he takes off running for his son. I, had, I know that feeling. I have lived on the other side of the planet from my children and, and stood at gates waiting for my kids to come home who I haven't seen in months, and they're a part of me, and they're a part of my heart, and I don't know anything else. Amy and I have stood there like this, waiting for my children, and when I see them, I run at them because they're mine. I know what this feels like. And so this father is waiting. He's sitting. He's longing. And finally the desire of his heart happens. My son has come home. I want you to know the son wasn't pretty. He left full of money, full of health, full of life. He came back. He'd been living in a field. He looked ugly. He smelled funny. He was dirty. It says his dad took off after him. He chased him down. He fell upon him, one translation says, and he kissed him because the son was more valuable than his sin. Because the son was more valuable than the sin. And he falls upon him and he kisses him and he loves on him. I can't imagine what that must have been like. The son tries to squeak out an apology and the dad's like, yeah, whatever. 
Chris Dubbs translation. The father had every right to refuse the one who refused him. He had every right to reject the one who had rejected him. He had every right to demand payment of the one who had wasted the work of his hands. He had every right to judge the one who had judged him unworthy. See, the son was guilty of all of those things. He had every right to do with the son what he wanted. Legally, relationally, all of us would have looked at him and said, you can do whatever you want. So he had the right to do whatever he wanted, but what he wanted wanted was to restore his son. He runs to him. He embraces him. He kisses him. And he restores him. He says to his servants, bring quickly the best robe. Put it on him. Put on a ring on his hand, shoes on his feet, and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he is found And they began to celebrate. I'm going to ask the praise team to make their way back up here. See, the heart of the father was to restore the son. And I don't know if you've been listening this morning. The very first song that we sang this morning talks about how God reached into my Egypt and he took me by the hand. And he walked me out in freedom into his promised land. It is his desire to restore us. The Father's heart is not to condemn us. The Father's heart is not to shut us down. The Father's heart uh, does has a desire to restore. It begins with the Son taking responsibility and being repentant. You can't escape the need for taking responsibility and repentance. But the reality is when the Son walked in, he had his speech prepared. You know that feeling when your parents come home and you have the speech prepared. I'm sorry, I did this thing wrong. Please don't destroy me. He had it all ready to go because he was worried about the judgment of his Father. But the reality is the Father didn't care about his apology because the son's foundness was more important to him than his lostness. I don't know where you are living today. You may be here and you don't know Jesus at all. I want you to know that Jesus' greatest desire for you is to restore you. That's why he sent Jesus. He didn't send Jesus to condemn you. He sent Jesus because you were in a far off country having joined yourself to people who don't know him. And he wants you to say, you know what, I need you, Jesus. And if you will do that one thing, if you will invite him in, the Father will come running. I know it because he's done it with me. He's done it with countless others in this room. But if you're here and you would call yourself a Christian, there are some of you that have allowed areas in your life to become far-off countries, places of famine in your life. You have allowed the lies of the enemy You've allowed the experiences of your past. You've allowed whatever to rob you of living in the fullness of what God has for you. I don't know what those circumstances are. I'm not going to ask you this morning. What I want you to know this morning is God is interested in a divine exchange in your life. See, he, he gave him a robe because the robe symbolizes his covering. He doesn't wait for him to get clean before he puts the robe on him. Do you notice that? The robe represents the covering of the Father. You were outside my covering, now you're back uh, under my covering. The ring symbolizes authority 
and it symbolizes family status. See, the ring was the thing that, 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 that determined you as a member, not just a member of a family, but a one who could make decisions in the family, the one who had the authority of the family. The ring restored him to his position inside of the family. The shoes. See, Jesus just doesn't go part way. He goes all the way. In, in that day and age, slaves had no shoes. Children got shoes. So he restores him in every conceivable way. He's still dirty. I'm sure he took a bath at some point. I'm sure he ate food at some point. But some of us feel like we got to get cleaned up before we can come to Jesus. We've got to get our stuff together before we come to Jesus. I submit to you this morning, you're never going to get right and straight until you come to Jesus. Then he'll help you get right and straight. This morning. Your father sees you. Your Father wants nothing more than to restore you. In a moment, I'm going to pray. In a moment, I'm going to ask the Lord to reveal to those of you who don't know Jesus, His heart for you. But for those of you who do know Jesus, I'm going to ask Him to whisper to you, are there places in your life that are a far-off country, a place of famine, a place outside of the covering of Jesus, outside of the space where he can get at you and you need to take responsibility for, you need to ask forgiveness for, you need to get right with, you need to throw off because there are lies that the enemy has told you that you need to get rid of because they're keeping you bound. Jesus cares more about your foundness than he does about your sin. Would you bow your heads with me? I ask you to bow your heads so in a room full of people we can have privacy. See, the cost of restoring his son was gladly paid by the father because he loved the son. The son felt unworthy. But our unworthiness has never had anything to do with our sonship. He was unworthy. But that had nothing to do with his status as a son in the house. Sometimes we think we got to be worthy. The reality is your worthiness has nothing to do with your sonship, your daughtership in the house of Jesus. We're going to sing, Trust in God. The reason I love the bridge of that song, I sought the Lord, and he heard, and he answered, See, he didn't answer with judgment. He didn't answer with condemnation. He had the right to, but he didn't. He didn't answer with, with, with a, a shove down to the ground. He didn't answer with, oh, go get yourself clean before I can even look at you. He answered by falling on him, by kissing him, and by giving him a robe, by giving him a rim, by giving him sandals, and by throwing a party because he said, my son who was dead is alive. I want us to sing this song. I sought the Lord. He heard and he answered and he answered with restoration. What area do you need to be restored in? What area, as I have been speaking this morning, has the Holy Spirit whispered to you, this is your far off country. This is the source of your famine. In a moment, I'm going to pray. 
But when I'm done praying, we're going to take just a minute. I, I see the time, but this is important business. Because some people need to be set free this morning. Set free from lies. Set free from whatever has bound you. You think because you joined yourself to something or someone that you can't get free. And I'm not talking about marriage. I'm talking about that mindset of rebellion. What have you joined yourself to? What lie have you believed? What circumstance have you allowed to affect you? What thing? I don't know what it is. But the Holy Spirit is speaking to some of you this morning. He's been speaking all morning. He is the God who fights for you. He is the God that when you call, He will hear and He will answer with a heart to restore. So we're going to stand. Would you join me, please? I'm going to pray a short prayer. Praise team is going to begin to worship. And I want you to be bold this morning. See, it wasn't enough for the son to think in the far off country, I'm sorry. See, he had to get up and he had to return to the father. That was a physical journey as much as it was a mental and emotional and a spiritual journey. If you're here this morning and you know, hey, the Holy Spirit's speaking to me right now. I got to get some stuff right. I got to return. I want to invite you to get up and make a physical journey that symbolizes an emotional, mental, and spiritual journey. I want you to come find a place at the front. I want you to run to your Father because His desire is to restore you. His desire is to kiss you. His desire is to pour out His love and affection upon you but he's not going to force it. You have to choose it. Father, I've delivered your word. Holy Spirit, now you need to work. There are people here who are like this young man who are in a far country, who are bound, who are in the middle of famine, who are, 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 have attached themselves to wrong things. Father, our sonship in you is never determined by our rightness, but by who our Father is. Father, there are some this morning in this place that need to rise up and need to walk back to you. Maybe for the first time, maybe it's been a long time, maybe it's just something you whispered to them this morning and they're still walking with you. They just want to get this area right with you. Holy Spirit, I surrender the next few moments to you. Will you work? Will you move? I want you to be obedient to the Holy Spirit in this moment. I want you to be brave in this moment. I want you to know your Father is calling to you. Will you move towards him? Born of his spirit, washed in his blood, and what he did for me on Calvary is more than enough. I trust in God, my Savior. i
those elders who are not busy praying, a, a few of you and your spouses would come and just make yourself available. If you're here this morning and you have a need, you need him to restore something, you need him to work, you need him to move, you need him to do something in your life. We're gonna just wait on the Lord for a moment. I'm gonna pray and then we're not in a hurry this morning. I don't plan on, uh, on going anywhere. If you need to go, I'm gonna pray in a moment, you'll be free to go. But we're gonna take some time to wait on the Lord this morning. And I would encourage you, if you have need, come forward and get prayed for. If you have a circumstance, come forward and, and, and maybe stand in the gap for somebody else. He is the God who restores you. He is the God whose heart has always been to restore. And so if you have need, won't you come? Father, Lord, we worship you. We acknowledge you as the one who restores this morning. We trust in you because when we called, you heard and you answered and you answered with all that you are. Father, as we all eventually leave this place this morning, let us walk out in the strength of the knowledge that you are for us you are not against us. Father, as we act in obedience to you, won't you meet us here, at home, everywhere. In Jesus' name. I want to encourage you to wait in the presence of the Lord. We're not in a hurry this morning. If you need to go, you are free to go. But I would encourage you, Wait on him. Wait in his presence. Wait for a while. We won't have a formal dismissal, but we're just going to wait in the presence of the Lord for a moment.
Thank you.